welcome to talc teaching and learning consultation skills this is the talc talks podcast helping everyone who sees patients to improve their consultation skills to get better outcomes and this approach can even increase your job satisfaction welcome to this discussion in talc module 10 chapter 4 skills for optimizing medication and it's about the vital consultation skills we need to use when having conversations with patients about their medications in particular when that conversation involves considering streamlining or reducing medications it's helpful to have good consultation skills to apply that process sometimes means identifying medications that aren't needed anymore and that can be surprising for some patients who may even feel that they're being deprived of something So if you want to avoid conflict or distress when reviewing medications, the conversation needs to be a skillful one. Today, I'm really pleased to be joined by Dr. James Bennett. Uh, James, can you tell me a bit about your current role and the work you've been doing around prescribing and polypharmacy? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for for having me. So I'm a, a GP fellow. I work with the Academy of Primary Care, which is based with the whole York Medical School. Um, and I also work as a salaried GP in Yorkshire for, for half the week as well. And we've been doing uh, a lot of work recently around polypharmacy and, and helping clinical colleagues managing what can be sometimes quite a complex skill and intervention. Um, we've been working with the uh, Taylor Project team, and we'll talk a bit more about that in a bit, I think. Um, but we've been building an online module in response to the findings from that report. Um, it was a large-scale project looking at um, the evidence behind the skills involved when managing polypharmacy in primary care. Um, and, and the key outcome for that was the development of, of the dexterous model, which um, we can talk about a bit later on, um, and, and supporting prescribers in deprescribing, reviewing, stopping medications. Um, and, and that's where the online module comes into it. Um, we've also been working uh, locally with our regional new to practice fellowship scheme so that's for uh, newly qualified gps within a couple of years of their um, cct um, and, and it has a, a strong emphasis in that program on developing expert generalist skills advanced communication skills and, and one of the modules focuses specifically on problematic polypharmacy and, and how we as gps are in a really unique and, and great position to, to tackle that issue um, but that we might need to change some of our ways of, of working and thinking in order to, to do that. Brilliant. That sounds both fascinating and incredibly relevant to daily general practice and daily primary care. Even if you're not a GP, you can be involved in reviewing medications and so on. So it sounds like we're, we're going to have a really interesting conversation about this. I'd, I'd like to begin really by asking about the consultation skills you need when you're discussing medication and, and why these skills are so important. Why, why does it matter to sort of have a skillful conversation about reviewing medications and so on? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're all expert communicators and the work around polypharmacy isn't necessarily about developing new skills or new communication skills or approaches. It is it's how we use those skills that we already have in a slightly different way. Um, we all know that, that we prescribe medications with the goal of trying to improve people's illness experience, their health in general, their quality of life. And, and when people start to take more medications, that opens them up to certain risks or, or 
potential harm or burden. And um, when they're taking five or more medications, that's the widely accepted definition of polypharmacy. But it's important, I guess, at this point to say polypharmacy can be appropriate. So when that combination of tablets is helping somebody and there's a benefit to that overall package of care, then that's that's fantastic. We're focusing more on the problematic polypharmacy. So where those combinations are perhaps causing, you know, they're either unnecessary, they're causing the burden, they're opening the patients up to harm. Um, and it's encouraging clinicians and patients to have those adequate in-depth medication reviews to, to reduce or stop things that perhaps aren't needed or, or, or aren't causing a benefit. Um, and, and I think that, that non-compliance, the waste issues that come into that, interactions, all of those things having an impact on the NHS. And I think we already have the skills to tackle this, but it's how we apply those skills in a slightly different way to, to make it uh, more achievable. I think that that's really helpful because this is part of a module about complex conversations. And at the beginning of this module, what we say is that, you know, when you've got your basic core consultation skills in place, you can then apply them with more awareness and more intensity to these perhaps more complicated situations. So I think we're very much in the right um, ballpark to discuss this today. I'd just like to be a bit more specific about what kinds of burdens excessive medication gives patients. I mean, why do we need to worry about this? It's a wide-ranging area um, and it's such a personal experience and I think that's the, one of the key messages from everything that we're going to talk through is about how this is a personal individual experience. Two patients on completely the same set of medications with the same disease processes will have very different experiences in terms of their tablets or their inhalers or whatever it might be, both positive and negative. Um, we talked about appropriate polypharmacy um, and where those things are working. With, with the problematic or inappropriate polypharmacy, that burden can be with respect to side effects, either interactions between the medications and, and reducing patients' quality of life or reducing their capacity for, for everyday living because they're having to deal with those side effects rather than the things they want to be doing. Um, also, I guess there's that logistical burden of um, ordering, requesting repeats, um, remembering what to take, when to take it, drug monitoring, blood tests, all of those things that come with the prescribing um, that we sometimes may not consider how that affects patients. Um, and and it, I think the other thing to perhaps touch on is the, the role that polypharmacy plays in over-medicalizing things. It opens some patients up to adopting that sick role and, and the psychological harm that that can then cause as a result. Um, and for patients of, with problematic polypharmacy or, or those that have ad adapted a bit of a sick role, it's then really challenging to try and renegotiate that medication regime because it's ingrained in their personal identity isn't it it's how they, they see themselves as this person and then trying to, to rationalize or, or, or take away some of those medicines becomes really difficult um mm. but it's, it's something i'm sure we've all experienced yeah potentially that can be a problem but of course the way we frame our interactions makes such a, a, a big difference, doesn't it? So, uh, you know, mm. assessing somebody and, and in particular, perhaps pointing out that some of their symptoms are side effects can be quite an empowering thing. And also thinking that, you know, you might be able to get the same benefits with fewer drugs can even be framed as a way of seeing an actual improvement, which can, can be quite psychologically helpful in terms of people's ability to engage in the things that they want to get on with in life. So I think we're kind of agreed that the skills of stopping medication as well as starting medications should be part of regular practice. But are there any barriers to clinicians getting on with this? 
Yes, yeah, it's it's well it's well documented in, in the evidence base and, and the research that's been done around it. Um, you're right; it is important to know how to stop things as well as start them. Um, I suppose the one challenge there might be sometimes it's thinking twice about starting it in the first place. Um, but focusing more on the de-prescribing side of things, if we if we look at the patient's perspective, there's a lot of emotion associated with with changing or reducing or stopping medications. That can be patients fearing a negative outcome so they may have been placed onto something that gives them symptomatic relief so um, painkillers opiates and chronic pain is a good example so patients who've been started on perhaps it now inappropriate medication for a long-term pain issue and you're trying to negotiate with them reducing or stopping that and their perceptions that that's going to increase their pain and, and that's a very challenging consultation the other side of that might be for example the elderly patient on risk modifying medications like statins who've been on them and they've been sold this as a lifelong treatment that's going to stop them from having a stroke or a heart attack and, and you're then trying to help them make the decision to stop that and that can be quite difficult for them so that, that's some insight I suppose into how it affects patients the, the the clinician side of things there's been some work by Joanne Reeve 2018 which looked at described as the four p's so so permission prioritization professional skills and performance management and it looks at how clinicians feel about the the, the skills needed to, to go through reviewing and de-prescribing we often feel uncertain worried about making decisions that might go against guidelines so we often find single condition guidelines that don't match up with each other don't we and, and they don't overlap they don't acknowledge each other they're designed for a patient with one problem not a patient with six problems and six different guidelines and that undermines your confidence a little bit and what happens if something goes wrong and i've not followed a guideline and, and will i be not to dry because of it and i think that undermines our confidence a bit particularly if a medication was perhaps started by a specialist team whereas actually i think the opposite is sometimes true gps hopefully know their patients really well and they're best placed to provide that medication oversight across different specialties, across different guidelines. But they need to be given the opportunity and support to prioritise that work within the system that we work in. There's no there's no quad points for, for following dexterous or doing this in a different way. And one of the biggest barriers, I think, is time. How do we find the capacity to do this? How do we change our current ways of working? And that's where the Ridge Report from 2021 kind of highlights the need for system change in order to, to, to change this. And, and for people who haven't read that, it's worth a look at. Yeah, I, th I think those system aspects are very, very important, although they're kind of at with the the subject matter that we concentrate on in TALC, which is about the consultation skills and the interaction with the patient. But I think to go back to that question of guidelines, it's very important, isn't it, when you're having a conversation with a patient that your own that you understand where your own professional values come into play. And all the guidelines say you have to individualise it to the patient in front of you. Uh, and as you say, many specialist guidelines don't refer to each other. So it's perfectly possible for one specialist to say this person must be on propranolol for some reason. And for another person to say this asthmatic must never have propranolol. And even when they discuss it with each other, they don't seem to be able to resolve it. And it's the GP's job to do that, really. And to, as you say, the, the same person... A person on the same drugs as somebody else might have a very different set of side effects or a different set of interactions and, and it's our job to do that. But to be confident that in thinking carefully about the individual patient, 
we're making a nuanced decision and actually people don't get hauled over the coals for doing that you're much more likely to get hauled over the coals for somebody having a side effect for years because you couldn't be bothered to review their medication or something like that so we, we've sort of talked about that there's a lot of benefits about better quality of life and uh, subsequent medication reviews might be a bit more easier to do if there are fewer medications around what what's the evidence behind this approach to to taking quite a a detailed look at people's medication i I think you mentioned something called the taylor review at the beginning can you tell us a bit more about that yeah so the the taylor medication synthesis uh, that was published quite recently so a few months ago in 2022 and it's a large body of work which looks at all the evidence around deprescribing and working in polypharmacy, cooperation between Liverpool, Hims, Oxford, and various other people involved. And it's generated one of the main outputs from it is, is this dexterous model, which is a way to try and approach these consultations. And there's four key components to that. Um, we're going to come on to uh, that. I can go through those a little bit yeah. perhaps and okay. explore them. Okay, so I'll put the reference to the Taylor report for those who are interested will be in the written materials that go along with this podcast. It is quite a big report, but in summary, it, it does make a very strong case for rationalising and thinking carefully about medications and using appropriate skills to do that. So we're going to really turn now in detail to the consultation skills that make these conversations effective. Now, the first thing to say is that the skills from TALC modules one to six will all come into play. These are the core consultation skills of preparing, setting a clear and mutual agenda, gathering information and building a relationship of trust. And these skills are always going to be needed in every consultation. But to really get an effective medication review, I think you're talking about something else, uh, this dexterous approach. So can you tell us what that's all about? Yeah, and it's interesting to, to hear again about the earlier modules because there's clearly an overlap between what's been said there and what's involved with Dexterous. And it's how, it's not like we've said before, it's not learning new skills, it's applying skills we have in a different way. Dexterous, um, as with a lot of things in medicine, is an acronym. So the, the, the D is about data, which is um, contextual to the patient you're with. E is about explaining things, so shared explanations, including aims of treatment and what the goals might be. Trust between patients and clinicians, but expanding into a consistent approach across the workforce and how to build that trust over time. And S is the sort of supportive infrastructure. So that's more about the systems and and how we design and change things to improve this and build continuity back into how we work. Okay. That's brilliant. So we're going to start really drilling down into the detail about the consultation skills aspects of this. Now, in TALP Module 1, we talk about the importance of preparation even before you start talking with a patient and how important that is in building trust and also preparing the clinician to feel empowered to understand what the consultation is going to be about. So you talked about D for data. So what kind of preparation helps a medical medication review along? A lot of it can be done ahead of time. Um, so it's familiarising yourself with past medical history, repeat medication list. Um, so you've got some insight into what's, what's going to be discussed. Um, and hopefully that then gives the patients a bit of confidence as well, because you already know a little bit about what's going on um, as well. Um, if we already know the patients and there's continuity already built in, that becomes a bit easier. The big thing with the data is it needs to be 
contextual and individual for that patient, either to their medication regime as a whole, or if the consultation is focusing on one specific area of care, pain management, mental health review, whatever that might be, looking at those specific treatments, going back to clinic letters if you need to and cross-referencing things. I think it's it's important not to underestimate how much time that takes. And that's one of the big barriers, isn't it? But trying to put that time aside, and even if it takes a little bit longer, that consultation might need to be paused or broken up or, or you know come back to it at a later date. Uh, it's not something that needs to necessarily happen in one shot. Yeah. Um, it goes on over time. Yeah, I'd like to just sort of consider that, though, because I think the more you get used to preparing for a consultation and looking at the notes in a systematic way and thinking about these questions, you know, what medications are there? Why are they there? What interactions could be going on? You know, if somebody's on opiates and they're still complaining of pain and they're on lots of things for constipation, well, it might be that the constipation drugs and the morphine could go because they're not achieving anything and just giving the patient a lot of side effects. So I think when you get in the habit of reviewing um, notes systematically before you start, it, it doesn't actually take as long as you think. It's when you begin to do it that it takes more time you get used to it over time don't you I think I wanted you to say something a bit more about data around the context because you mentioned contextualizing this information to the specific patient what kind of aspects of the patient's context do you think you need to be thinking about when you gather the data yeah I suppose that's thinking about what they're um why they're taking things what their understanding of it might be um trying to get their perspective on things a little bit as well so building the patient into this um and that's all of those sorts of classical open questions and sometimes a little bit overstated isn't it or cliche but so important when it comes to, to communicating with patients particularly around making decisions around treatment plans is okay. trying to understand their side of things and gathering that data from them I think that's that's really helpful to think about that because there's data that we collect beforehand and then data that we collect during the conversation. And I think as well, other aspects of the, the context are important, like is this person living at home? Are they in a nursing home? Are they close to death? Are they... Um, actually at work or, or you know are they needing medications to keep them well enough to keep at work for example and some of that is is in the medical record isn't it before before you start so I'd like to go on to the E of dextrous we've covered D for data now let's think about E for explanations now in TALP we take a strong focus on having a dialogue with patients you know chunking the information and checking the patient's response so can you say a bit more about what needs to happen in a medication review in terms of this dialogue dialogue element yeah it, probably the, the cheats way out of that question is to say all of it all of them. <laughs> um uh, there's uh, yeah there's no way of getting away from those things that they're, they're all really valid skills to use during uh, these consultations i think that you have to have the patient in the middle of everything so how we use the data that we've gathered to explain why we think changing or stopping or reducing something is is, is part of it is in their interest, their best interest, and involving them in that decision-making process. So checking their understanding of their illness. Why are you taking this? What's the aim of it? You know, what what have you come to understand about how your diabetes affects you? Really taking the time to see what their level of understanding is regarding their disease process, their prescription, and what the therapeutic goals are. I think, you know, you're taking these tablets, what are you hoping that they're going to achieve for you? And then reinforcing messages that are accurate, correcting misunderstandings or re-educating patients around things comes into that explanation side of things. 
And you can quickly see how things like chunking and checking is going to be really important because you need to break that information up, don't you? And then make sure that they're having a chance to process and understand it. I think a key part for me is agreeing trial reductions or alternative therapies. So setting up, we might expect to see when it might happen, when we might need to review it. Um, but that can be done when starting tablets as well. I, I'm sure other people do this. I quite commonly use it when starting medications for depression, so SSRIs or, some, or, or increasing a dose of an SSRI is setting clear boundaries at the time. So, you know, we're going to try it for this period of time. You're hoping it will achieve this or we're expecting it will achieve this. This is the review date. And we're agreeing at the start that if it hasn't achieved that, we're going to reduce it back down again or we're going to stop it because it's not effective. Okay. So I think that can be really helpful. Yeah, I think that idea of explicitly asking the patient what matters to them in other words what they're trying to achieve with their medication and then actually saying well let's just check whether we're doing that because I think pain is a classic one with this people are often taking painkillers but if you ask them they say I've still got a lot of pain so mm. you say well these painkillers are not achieving the goal that we set out to achieve so maybe we need to think about something different or a different approach or, or something uh, depending on the context obviously and the reason why people have got the particular symptom I, I know it's often uh, it, it's always absolutely crucial to individualise what you say and to respond to the person in front of you and the kind of things they're saying. But sometimes there are phrases for opening up a, a conversation. I don't know if you've got any thoughts about some phrases that might, you know, introduce the idea that, that a drug might need to be reviewed or, or perhaps even reduced or stopped. What, what kind of approach do you take to that? I, yeah, I think you're right, it does have to be individualised, but there are things you can think about to try and, I think, it, understanding their perspective of it a bit more. So leading them to that decision point and recognising that perhaps something needs to change. Why, you know, why do you think you're taking this? How do you think this is helping you? Or, or, or how is this medication improving your quality of life? Or is this medication causing any problems for you? So trying to get them to recognise the difficulties or the challenges that it creates. And those questions can then start to help the patient recognise that perhaps some of their medications are part of the problem that they're experiencing. Yeah, I think that's a helpful approach. And I, I think um, in line with other things we say in town, we, we discourage saying, have you got any questions? Because if you do say that, people always say no. But if you say, well, what questions have you got now? And to say something like, what problems does your medication cause you? Or what side effects are you experiencing? Kind of normalises the idea that there will be a problem or there will be mm. a side effect. It's much more likely to get people to actually comment about what, what they're experiencing, isn't it? Uh, and I think the way you've talked about that implicitly involves this chunking and checking idea where you're, you're asking the patient for their response and thinking about about what they're saying and then then taking that from there what about the the sort of following up aspects what what what, what about that after you've had this discussion again that that picks up on some of the things that we all do as part of our regular consultations uh, you know we've hinted it's, it's a continuous process so this isn't a single and it shouldn't be a single annual review process although we are financially incentivized to do it that way it's about this continuous overarching process I think safety netting is really important. We're not in a hospital setting as tempting as it would be to delete six medications in one go and see how they are. We can't do that in the same way in the community often. Um, so when reducing or stopping, explaining what may happen, what patients might notice, encouraging them to come back if they notice that 
perhaps the symptoms getting worse, like you stop a diuretic and their heart failure symptoms start to worsen mm. and that they know they need to, to seek a review before any planned review. Planning follow-up and either booking it in or using software systems to schedule reviews or get reminders about when things need to be need to be looked at again. Um, and one of the things I find reassures patients a lot is explains them that nothing is set in stone. It can sometimes unnerve them a little bit if you explain that we can always change things back or we can always do things differently. It might make them feel like they're a little experiment um, and, and that, you, that you don't really know what you're doing. But actually explaining to them that we're trying this to try and improve things. Nothing, nothing is set in stone. We can always change it. Everybody's different. Everybody experiences things differently. Hopefully it'll work. If it doesn't, don't panic. Just come back. We'll look at it again. Um, I think that's really important. Yeah, I think that idea of engaging people in scrutinising their own care, you know, saying, well, okay, let's try this and then I want you to think about what's important to you and then notice whether those things are getting better or getting worse, whether we need to change something uh, and then get people to be much more involved in that active monitoring themselves as a way. I, I think that doesn't seem sound like an experiment. It sounds more like you're interested in them as an individual yeah. and, uh, and how it is for them as an individual when they're getting on with their own lives. So I'd like you to comment about the T in Dextrous, which is stands for trust. So why have you put trust in there and why why how do you think what you've been talking about builds that trust well you mentioned kind of, kind of um, showing an interest in building those relationships and i think going going back to basics and, and understanding our patients that social context that you, you mentioned around um, what they do for work where they live who they live with what they're what they need to do on a day-to-day -day basis that's all really important and, and provides that foundation for, for trust i think trust has been undermined in some ways by a lack of, or a loss of continuity for lots of different reasons that we, we don't have time obviously to go into today but trying to take a positive approach really helps so you've built that foundation of trust you you then try and frame things if possible not always possible in a positive way you've been taking this you now feel better or we've achieved this that's fantastic should we look at stopping it and see if you don't need it anymore um because you've done all the hard work yourself or whatever it might be um we I think we need to be careful with our language. So the the, the phrase deprescribing can sometimes feel very cold and uh, clinical. Um, and we've had some really interesting feedback from some of the patients that we've been working on with Taylor, but also with the online module about that language. One of them highlighted that the need to, to again tailor your language to the patient as much as anything else. So you know, if you've got a professor of cardiology as your patient. You might quite like the phrase deprescribing, but somebody else might not. And, and re-prescribing sometimes is, is less inflammatory or less cold and makes people feel like, okay, it's not that you're stopping everything altogether. We're just reviewing and restarting this process. Um, so that, that was interesting to hear that, I think. I think that you're so right that attending to the individual builds trust and that enables you then to have these conversations about more complicated matters and I think language is very interesting I think I agree with you I think deprescribing is a horrible word it's quite a horrible word to use professionally let alone I'd never say it to a patient I don't think uh, and people sometimes talk about streamlining um, medications which I think a lot of patients might understand people talk about medicines optimization but that can also feel a little bit corporate a little bit uh, it's a big long word not 
everybody knows what that means. Sometimes even keeping it very simple and saying something like, we need to have a conversation to make sure that your medications are right for you at this time, you know, that, that we've got the right thing for you at this right moment. So thank you very, very much for going through that dexterous approach. Um, beyond the consultation itself, you mentioned that the dexterous approach emphasises organisational matters like scheduling time for medications review, working with other professionals, perhaps pharmacists and people like that. Would you like to say something about the teamwork needed here uh, to make this effective? Because our firm focuses the consultation skills, but it has to be in the context of the whole team, doesn't it? Yeah, and also the system that we work in. Uh, we all have the skills to achieve this, but it's how we apply those skills and how we're supported to do that. Um, and it does go a bit beyond uh, the, the sort of talc um, framework, but it, I think it's important people consider it. And, and the, the S is about that supportive infrastructure. And it comes back to the Ridge report from 2021. And this is a complex skill. We need to build in continuity and where appropriate, we should be sharing this work out across an MDT that includes prescribers, pharmacists, nurse practitioners, practice nurses. ICS may open the door to help support that. So working within networks to, to try and share this work out and work as a bigger group, but it needs to be driven forward by clinicians on the ground. Um, the MDT work is really important. And I think recognising that, um, there, that there needs to, to a certain extent, be a bit of a culture shift in how we approach this work. And there's lots of work going on around quality improvement work and projects on how to support this in practice. Um, and, and, and I think we've all got opportunities to be creative and proactive and work together uh, and it might actually re-energise and reinvigorate some people working in general practice as well. So, um, yeah. no, I, I think that's really, really important point because when we're talking about systems, there are many different levels to systems, but within our own practices, we can control quite a lot about the way we work and uh, how different members of the team work and how we promote continuity, for example, or how we schedule some time for preparation before a surgery, maybe, or before a discussion. So there are ways in which we can influence the system we work in locally. And if we get this kind of thing right, it should really reduce work overall in a way, because if people are on the right treatment, they're going to have less side effects, they're going to have less symptoms, they're going to be in a much better position to look after themselves. So thank you very very much for explaining the dexterous approach and introducing the taylor report to us in the written materials that go along with this podcast there will be references to that and also to the e-learning module about polypharmacy that james and his colleagues have been developing and i think that will be a really useful resource for people who are wanting to develop their skills in this area so once again james thank you very much for coming along no it's been a pleasure thank you thank you This podcast was brought to you by NHS Professional Educators, making training available to all.